Amen. You know, the word that I love in that video, and we say it, we seem to say it all the time, is that word extraordinary, right? I love that. And when you pray for an extraordinary life, something happens. When you pray for that extraordinary life in Jesus Christ, something happens. And usually, by the way, and it, this isn't part of the message, I just needed to tell you this, usually it's the opposite of what you think. Okay, when we pray for something extraordinary, we pray like, and I, I just know I'm about to step into, you know, this great service for the Lord. And yet he changes that. Because what we don't think in our minds is the preparation time. What we don't think in our minds is that he has to get us to a place where we're ready to do his will. Right? And again, I, I don't mean to go into this. This has just been on my heart the last few days. And I said, Lord, just speak through me if you want to. But this is, this is on my heart. So I, I'm just going to take a minute to tell you about this. Because, see, one thing I didn't realize, when, when I prayed almost five years ago now, about, God, I want an extraordinary life in you. I want something different. I don't want the norm. I want to be used by you to the maximum potential that you want to use me. I thought it would happen right away. I thought it would happen because I thought he had already been preparing me for that. But do you realize that he doesn't start preparing you I mean, he does throughout our lives because he knows what's going to happen. But until you yield to him, there are things he cannot prepare in you. So it wasn't until I made that decision that I want exactly what you want for me that he began to ultimately prepare me. And we think in terms of our timing. You know, we're the microwave society, right? Put it in for 30 seconds and you got dinner. Right? It doesn't work that way with God. Because lives are at stake. Souls are at stake. Eternity is at stake. So he works his perfect will in us. And you know what hit me? You read the word of God, and we put it kind of in a linear time in our thinking. You read through Acts, well, Paul gets saved at Damascus, and boom, he's out preaching. That's kind of our thought process. Or David, you know, David kills the lion, kills the bear, kills Goliath, and he's king. You know, he's up and he's doing what he needs to do. That's kind of how we think. Because we don't think in the same timeline as God. But if you really look at it, you begin to understand that, no, it was 14 years before Paul went on his first mission. Actually, 17 years, if you include Asia, that he was before he went on his first missionary journey. It was 20 years from the time that David was anointed as king and said he would be king. It was 20 years before he actually became king. Do you know Abraham, when he was promised Isaac, he was promised the son, it wasn't two, three years later that he had him. It was 20 years later. Okay, God takes time to prepare us. And the more we want to be used by him, the more we have to yield ourselves to his preparation. And that can be frustrating. That can be really lonely. It can be really difficult. 
Because, see, imagine a, a washcloth full of water. And this washcloth is us. And we say, Lord, I want to be used. And he says, okay. He says, I've got to wring you out. You know, so, so what do you do with a washcloth when you wring it out? You bring the hands together and wring out as much as you can, right? Okay, but if you want that more dry, what do you do? Now you start to twist it. You get a little bit more out. Still not dry enough. Okay, now you twist it. You fold it in half and you twist it again. And you keep doing that until you get as much water out of that as possible. See, that's what God does based on what we ask Him. Lord, if I ask you for an extraordinary life, I ask you for something that is well beyond what I could ever imagine in terms of for you, and he keeps folding it, ringing, folding, ringing, folding, ringing, until there's nothing left. See, because he cannot use us when he's got us in there. He needs to be in there fully himself. And we're the ones that tend to get in the way of that, right? So again, this was not part of my message. But I know, I, I know many of you, and I know many of you who have prayed that same prayer and said, I want an extraordinary life. I want, I want you to understand that what you might be going through now is that ringing process where he's preparing you for just that. It may seem like it takes a long time. Because to us, in our microwave thinking, it does. But to God, remember what's at stake. Souls are at stake. And just on the way here this morning, I, I was listening to Joyce Meyer, and she said that, that when you are put in charge of reaching out to people, and you're put in charge of their souls, you can help them, but you know there's a risk too because you could also damage them. So God's not going to take the risk of giving us influence, of giving us charge over people without preparing us. So turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. What we've been going through is a direct result of this preparation. We've been talking about the armor of God. We've been talking about how the armor of God not only prepares us, but protects us from the enemy. Because as God is preparing our witness, as he's preparing what he wants us to do, we're, we're not in a vacuum, right? We are in the target of the enemy. And the more the enemy knows that God wants to use you, the more you pray, God, I want you to have full reign in my life, you become a bigger target. So what Paul said is, here are things you put on, these pieces of armor you put on, because you'd be foolish to go into battle without it. You'd be foolish to go into battle without your breastplate that protects your heart, that protects your vital organs. You'd be foolish to go in, as we talked last week, about the shield, the shield of faith. Because the shield is something you can aim at the enemy. The shield is the, is the first piece of armor, the one piece of armor that is not attached. You know, you attach it to your arm, but you can aim it where it needs to be. It's mobile. Okay, so he gives us these things that give us 
protection according to his word. Why protection? It's because we cannot see the enemy. Okay, we can read in the word of God and we know that he's strategic. We know how he got Adam and Eve. Okay, he was strategic in how he got man to fall in the first place. Now that's when man was perfect. Don't you think it'd be even a little easier now that we have this flesh? That we have this fallen flesh that we live in? Yeah, Satan is strategic. He's good. He knows our weaknesses. He knows how to hit us. He knows exactly where to throw the darts. You ever hear the phrase, or do you hear it a lot? Pressing my buttons. Satan knows the buttons. He knows the buttons to press. Why? Because oftentimes we fall to those every time. He knows our weaknesses. So, okay, what do we do? Can we then just plan to work on those things? And I'm just going to be stronger the next time he comes after me. You know, I have a bit of a temper. I know that. I'm working on that. And, and I'm just going to be stronger the next, next time somebody cuts me off in traffic. Well, what happens the next time? Probably the same thing. Because unless we put on the armor, we don't have the protection. Because you've got to understand the protection is not us. The protection is from the Word of God, right? So when you go through your life and you're going through your preparation time for whatever God has for you, it's important to put on these pieces of armor. Because otherwise we get discouraged. Otherwise we get complacent. You know, perhaps we begin to not really believe that moment that we were with Him and we prayed God used me in an extraordinary way. You know, now we're in the wilderness a little bit. Well, God, do you remember me praying that? Yeah, he does. He needs us to be in the wilderness. He needs us to be in that time of preparation where we build our faith in him. See, because faith, without faith, first of all, we can't please him. But without faith, you cannot do what he calls you to do. Even more so if you're asking him for something extraordinary. You know, it's like asking your boss at work, I want this job I know I'm not qualified for, but I want it. And, and you're, you're a cool boss. You give us whatever you want. You know, I want this job. I'm not qualified to do it, but I want it. That would be a little dangerous if you were, say, a welder <laughs> and never welded before. I want to weld. Yeah, okay. You may want to learn a few things about that. You know, I want to be a policeman. Just give me a gun. You may want to learn a few things about a gun. There are things, yeah, not Peter. There are a few things that he takes us through to get us ready. So remember what you prayed for because God hears it. If at that moment in your life you pray, God, I want you to use me, he probably hears you louder than you think he does. Because you may have woke up the next morning and, and it may not have even been on your mind anymore. But you know what? It was on his. He heard you and he's going to prepare you. 
And oftentimes when we forget about it and we walk away, we run into some problems in our life. That's, that's called running away from him, right? We run into these problems. Why? It's because we asked him to make a difference in our lives. At some point, we asked him to do that. When we ask Jesus Christ into our hearts, we ask him to be Lord of our life. We ask him to reign in our life. He hears that. And he begins to work to accomplish just that. So, again, Ephesians 6, we're going to read, as we do the last couple weeks, verses 10 through 17a. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Again, stopping there a second. Remember, we're not, we're not fighting a physical enemy, right? We're fighting an enemy we cannot see, but he sees us. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, which is the word of God. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith that we talked about last week with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And 17, and take the helmet of salvation, and we'll stop there, the sword of the Spirit we're going to talk about next time. So take up the helmet of salvation. Okay, real quick, I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to talk about another reference. I want to read a verse about another reference regarding the helmet. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8 says this. But since we belong to the day, and it's talking about the day of the Lord that will be coming, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Why is salvation a hope? This is something that we need to understand because, remember, each piece is something that we put on. So when we put it on, it must mean that at points it comes off. Okay, perhaps it loosens up and it falls off, and we have to put it on again. So why does it refer to the helmet of salvation as something we have to continue to put on? If salvation has nothing to do with us, because Christ did everything on the cross, he did absolutely everything, then why do we need to protect our salvation with a piece of armor? Well, it's because when you look at the word of God, salvation, that word is broken down into three phases. Okay? And we're going to talk about those three phases. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That word salvation is going to have three phases in it. And oftentimes what we talk about when we use the term salvation, we're talking about the first phase. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30 says this, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. So when we accepted Jesus Christ, we believed in who he is and what he did, and we invited him into our heart, he became to us the wisdom of God. And then he breaks that down into these next three words, which is, which, that was our salvation, which is our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. Those are three different phases of what we call salvation. Okay, when you read in the Word of God as you begin to study, if you don't understand that it's talking about three different phases, you're going to get real confused when you get to some of these books, especially Hebrews chapter 6. That's going to really confuse you because you're going to think, wow, I can lose my salvation? I can lose that promise that Jesus Christ made to me? Who, by the way, he did everything. I didn't do anything to receive his salvation, right? So you're going to get confused. It's, it's important to understand. It breaks down into three areas. That first area is righteousness, okay, of, in that verse. The word righteousness means justification, okay? Without this part of salvation, we don't even have access to the armor of God. That first part of salvation is what Jesus Christ fully did on the cross. We have nothing to do with it except for receiving it. We are receiving his grace. We know what he did. We believe that he is the son of God. We believe that he came to this earth fully as man and fully as God. Died on the cross for our sins and mine specifically. Okay? I believe that he came and died for me. He rose from the grave and now sits at the right hand of the Father. Okay, from that belief, I then invite Jesus Christ into my heart. Jesus, I believe those things. Please come and rule in my heart. Boom, it's done. I am justified at that moment. I am completely saved at that moment. Why? Because remember when we talked about putting on the breastplate of righteousness, we, we learned that it wasn't our righteousness. It was Christ's righteousness. He came to this earth. He spent 33 years on this earth and lived a perfect, sinless, righteous life. And that life was offered for our sin. Because the penalty of sin, remember, is death. It was offered for our sin. So it's his righteousness that saves us, not our own. <laughs> Thank the Lord. We'd be in trouble if it was our own, right? So it is his righteousness that we put on. Well, it's his righteousness that justifies our salvation, that first part of salvation. So we are justified, right? We are justified through faith alone. Turn to Romans 5. This justification is not something we earn. This justification is not something that we can purchase. This justification is something we can only believe and ask for. 
and it's given fully through grace. We're going to read chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 in Romans. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope for the glory of God. I love that word hope. Notice that word hope. It's it's something you're going to continue to see. We rejoice in the hope of the glory to God, of the glory of God. We don't see it right away. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, you did not go to heaven immediately. Wouldn't life be so much easier if we did? <laughs> I accept you Jesus into my heart. Boom, I'm gone. You know, that doesn't require a whole lot of faith. That certainly doesn't require a life glorifying him. So he puts in there that there's hope in the glory of God. Verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into the hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, the hope is in this Holy Spirit. The hope is in God continuing to work in our life. Again, remember this justification by grace, by grace only. What what did it just say? says it's going to produce suffering. This justification, this free gift, as we said before, in your life will cost you everything. To be justified before God, to be worthy, if you will, of heaven because of his righteousness, costs you nothing. But to live in his righteousness to live with the hope of that one day seeing him will cost you everything. It says right here, it's going to produce suffering. Why is that? Why do we have to suffer for him? Why do we have to go through anything that's going to be painful? If you've worked with people before, if you've had kids, you understand that their paradigms are different than yours. If you're trying to teach them something, their paradigms are different, so they're going to go through some tough things to learn some lessons that you know are going to be good for them. It's no different with God. God knows what we need. God knows what we need to do. God knows what will make us happy. He knows our makeup. He knows who we are. He knows the very ingredients that make up our personality. So don't you think he's going to do what he needs to do to fulfill his will in our lives? Oftentimes, though, we get in the way, right? So it's going to produce suffering. But then it says, suffering then produces what? Endurance. Once you've gone through this suffering and you see that it is of God, 
you see that it is producing something in you you can't, put, can't quite put your finger on, but you know that God is doing something in your heart. You know because your walk is drawing closer to Him. When you see this happening, you think, okay, I, I can do this. I can do this because He's given me the grace to do it. I can do this because of what He did for me on the cross. So it begins to produce endurance. This suffering produces endurance. Well, endurance, what does that produce? The Bible just said it produces what? Character. So this endurance of moving through God's will, continuing to let him work on us, it produces character. What is character? Character is the integrity in a person that allows God to use them. To know that what I'm facing may, may cause me to want to go a different direction, but I'm not going to because I know that's the direction God sent me. That's what he told me to do. That's the direction his, his word sends me. And then verse 5. That character then shows us the hope that is seated in the Holy Spirit. See, when Christ rose... When he ascended into heaven, he didn't just leave us alone. He didn't say, good luck, as soon as you get up here, I'm going to fill you with everything that I am. No, he sent a comforter. He sent the Holy Spirit. He sent his own spirit, a third of the Godhead, to interact with us on a personal level. This is a person of the Godhead that we don't have to make an appointment with. You know, I'm going to see him in July. I can't wait. It's not that. You know, whereas in the person of Jesus, you know, well, we'll see him when we go to heaven. He sent this comforter. He sent this helper. He sent the Holy Spirit to be there with us. To work at every point in our lives with us. And that is what produces this hope. By the way, something very important to this part. This this piece, this justification. When you're saved, the first thing the enemy is going to do is make you feel like you didn't do enough. He's going to make you feel like you need to do it again and again. And again, and again. I know that. I, I speak that because it happened to me. Well, Lord, maybe I didn't say the right words the first time, so let me just do it again. And, and I begin to doubt that maybe it didn't take. Maybe I didn't quite do it the right way. You know, the enemy, and, and then, then without understanding the other two phases of... Uh, of salvation, reading Hebrews 6. You're, if, if you don't understand the other two phases of salvation and you read Hebrews 6, you're going to come away from there confused. You're going to come away from there thinking, I better pray again. I better do this every morning when I, when I wake up. Because the enemy wants you to think that you can lose your salvation. You can lose your, your justification part of your salvation. So I want you to turn... To Ephesians chapter 1. 
And if there's anywhere you want to make a note, these two verses you want to keep on you because, one, you want them to be such a part of your life that, that you have complete trust that justification was all on Jesus Christ and that you can never lose your salvation. Plus, you are going to need to use these verses for somebody else. As you lead others to the Lord, as you disciple others, these are core verses that you want them to understand. <clears throat> Again, verse 13, Ephesians chapter 1 says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit came to dwell inside you. The Spirit of Christ came to dwell inside you to take up permanent residence. But verse 14 is what I really want to get to. It's who is, and talking about this Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. In a contract, that would be binding. In contractual form, that is binding. In other words, what Christ is saying is that when you accepted me, I sent the Holy Spirit to you, who became a seal, covered you, until you receive the inheritance. What's the inheritance? Being with him in his kingdom. Being with him in glory. So I'm assuming since we're all breathing here this morning, none of us are there yet. <laughs> right? So we're still sealed by this Holy Spirit until we see Jesus Christ. It's very important to get that. It's very important to get that because we cannot lose our justification. We cannot lose, forgive the, the word, but our ticket to heaven. Because that's what justification is. We do nothing for it. Jesus Christ did everything. He sealed us. He did everything. All we had to do was accept him. And all we had to do was accept him once. And then it was done. Because he does absolutely everything. Okay, so the second phase is called sanctification. Sanctification in the word of God means purification or holiness. To be made holy. So again, we've been justified by Jesus Christ, right? Now, from the next breath out of our mouth until the day that we see him, so from our next breath to our last breath, is what we call sanctification. That is the time in which we are to be made holy for him. We are to be purified for him. That's what we call life. That's what we're living right now. If you have accepted Jesus Christ, you are in a sanctification process to be made holy. Why? Why do we need to be made holy? Again, it goes back to faith. Faith is what pleases him. If he didn't need that, he'd take us the second that we accepted him. But what we would miss out on, and what he would miss out on, is the faith required to live this life for Jesus Christ. And that faith produces love. 
The more we have faith in Him, the more we understand what He does for us, we have love for Him. That's His motivation. Read 1 Corinthians 13. His motivation for everything was love. Because He loves you and me so much, the Father does, that He gave His only Son. So His motivation to even keep us here is love. He wants to show us love and in turn receive love. He wants to show us this process of holiness that produces faith. And remember, we just went through it. The grace producing suffering. Suffering producing endurance. Endurance producing character. And character producing hope. What is our hope? Our hope that one day we're going to stand before him. Can I grab a book and, you know, it, I mean, outside of the word of God, but can I, can I show you somehow for sure that this happened? Let me grab your hand. Let me take you up to heaven. Let me, let me introduce you to my great-great-great-grandfather who's up there, and you'll see this is truth. You can't do that. And by the way, grandfather's not going to come down here and tell you that. Because it requires faith. God wants us to have faith. He wants to trust him because of love. Because he craves that love. He desires that love. So he's going to do everything he can to build faith in each one of us. That's this process of sanctification. Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 16, says this. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your body. Okay? And, and what, what, he, what Paul's talking about here is he's talking about this sanctification process. Remember, it's this purification. Okay? This making us holy after we've accepted him. So let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death into life, which is what happened the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You were brought from death into life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Do you understand that when you accepted Jesus Christ, you fell under his grace? You do not have to be under sin. Do you understand? It does not have to control you. No matter what that sin is, it, it does not have to control you. Why? Word of God right here says that we're given grace to live outside of that. Now, it's a battle. It's a battle we fight every day because of who we were born with, this, this flesh. But we don't have to live in that sin. It says in verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you because we're not under the law. Praise God. I... I I don't know how much you know about it, but I, I'm so glad I wasn't born in Old Testament times. <laughs> you know, I'm so glad that God came, Jesus Christ came, died on the cross for my sins and gave me grace. I'm so glad 
that I don't have to live to the letter of the law for my righteousness? Verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Paul says, by no means. Verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Our sanctification is the process of learning how to live with God taking us from death into life. Now, I'm not. This is a whole, a whole big category. So I'm going to go into that further next week because that's not something, sanctification is not something you just kind of key on and do a couple little things on. Because we have to understand why. You know, we're, we're why people, right? Why? Why do we do that? Why? You know, you tell your kid to do something. Why? Because I said so. Yeah, we usually want a little bit better explanation for that. So we're going to go into that in depth next week. What does it mean to live a sanctified life? Why do we live a sanctified life? What, what's in it for us? What's in it for Jesus Christ? Why does he want us to live this sanctified life? Do you understand there is so much in it for us here on this earth? And we think of that. You know, we know that that when, we, when we're living in sin, then that brings trouble, right? As Christians, that brings trouble. We also know that there's an enemy that fights us. We know that there's difficulty here on this earth as Christians. Because grace produces suffering, right? Okay? However, what we don't think about, what we really don't study about, is what is waiting for us in heaven. This, this point of sanctification, this point of purifying our lives, it will have its reward, not just on this earth. It will have its reward in heaven, and that's what we're going to talk about next week. So why? Why do we do this? We're going to answer that next week. Because sanctification is the largest part of your salvation. It's not your ticket to heaven. You cannot earn your way to heaven. However, there are rewards that we get in heaven directly corresponding to our sanctification. And those we will either receive or not receive. And that's for eternity, folks. You want to talk about investing and wisely investing in something. How about investing, you know, however many years of your life here that affect eternity? That's a pretty good investment. So we're going to talk about that a lot more next week. The third of the, of the phases is redemption. The Greek there is apolytrosis, which means a ransom paid in full. We call this our glorification. That one day we will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. We will be glorified in him. Okay, turn to Romans 8, 23. Just a few pages over. Romans 8, 23 says this. And not only the creation, 
But we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. One day we will be redeemed. That's what Christ came to do. One day when this life is over, we will stand before him in glorified bodies. That is the third phase of salvation. That is the completion of salvation. That is the final thing that we do. We will one day stand before him. We will one day be judged by him. One day we will receive rewards by him. By the way, we will not be judged in terms of our sin. Don't let that sink don't let that get into your mind. Because when we accepted Jesus Christ, we were covered by his blood. Our sins to be remembered no more. Okay, when, when, when we are up there standing before what's called the Bema Seat of Christ, and that's, that's his judgment where he will give us the reward for our sanctification process. And that's going to be an incredible time. That's where we are rewarded for the time that we invest here. Is that investing in doing stuff? No. Because the doing stuff has to be a result of the heart. You can go and you can, you can be, you know, a missionary and, and just feed the poor and, and, and help the homeless and do this and do that and you could do that all in your own strength. You can do that all for the glory of being a good person here and receive no reward for it. Because what Christ wants you to do is he wants you to seek him. He wants you to seek a relationship with him. Seek him first in his kingdom. Seek his righteousness. Let him fill you up. And what pours out are those things. What pours out are those works that we end up doing. Those are the ones that count toward righteousness. Why? Because he's doing them. All we're doing is filling up with him, and he's doing the work that pours out, because it's him that pours out of us. I've used this illustration before, but if you take a cup, and you take water, and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is water, you are the cup. You're filling up this cup. You're filling yourself up with Jesus Christ. You're absorbing His Word. You're in prayer. You're hearing the Holy Spirit. You are absorbing what He has for you. At some point, if that keeps pouring, it starts to overflow. That's the works. That's the thing that will produce reward. You can't decide to do something to produce reward. Because the reward comes from what Christ does in you. So you, it's so simple. It's so simple. You just got to fill up. If you fill up, he does the rest. You know, and, and you, you think at the beginning of, of your saved life, and you think, how in the world? I couldn't do all those things. I don't know the Bible. I'm, I'm just beginning to learn the Bible. I don't know how to talk to somebody. I don't know how to do this or do that. Certainly could never be a preacher. I could never sing worship. I, could, I couldn't do these things. I, please don't ask me to go on a missions trip. I can't do that. You know, we don't have to worry about that. All we have to worry about is filling up with him. 
Because when you fill up with Him, He's going to give you the desire to do the things that He wants you to do. And, and I stand here before you now, I'm not preaching this out of the Word of God, I'm preaching this out of my own experience. The more you fill up with Him, the more you will fall in love with Him. The more you fall in love with Him, the more you will understand His mind. You will understand what He is trying to do in you. You will understand that this world is not where it's at. That the desires of this world, that that the pleasures of this world are so fleeting. And they're so small compared to Him. Compared to the capacity of His love. Have you ever been loved so much that it blinds you? Now, I'm not saying, have you ever loved so much? I'm saying, have you ever been loved so much that it blinds you to everything around you? It just overwhelms you. I would dare say most people have not. Because with human love, we don't have that capacity But do you know that's exactly what Jesus Christ does in your life if you let him? He will overwhelm you. He will fill you up and he will pour out of you things that you never in a million years thought you would do. Because it's not you doing them. He just wants this empty vessel. You know, the Bible talks about him being the potter and and us being the clay. He's going to mold us however he wants. But do you understand everything he molds is going to be able to hold him? He's not going to mold a plate. He's not going to mold, mold this, flat, this flat piece of pottery that holds nothing. He is going to mold you into something that holds him. Now we can take a part in what, we, in what he molds. And that's the prayer that I was talking about at the beginning. When you pray for something extraordinary in your life when it comes to Jesus Christ, when you say, Lord, I want you to use me in an extraordinary way, I could just picture him sitting back as the potter and saying, okay, okay, good. I'm going to need a little more clay. We're going to have to add a whole new level to this because... I want to honor what they're praying to me right now, but right now, the vessel that they are does not hold enough of me. I need it to hold more. So he begins to add clay. He begins to form the walls a little higher of this pot. Because he needs it to take longer to fill up so it's more of him inside. Because there's an enemy that wants to keep us from that. There's an enemy that fights along the way. That's why we put on the armor of God. We put on these things that he gives us to fight the enemy. Why? Because we want to be filled. I want this piece of pottery, whatever he is building me into be, I want to hold as much of him as I possibly can. Why? Because I'm overwhelmed in his love. Because the greatest feeling in the world 
is knowing that he loves me and he died for me. And he would do that if nobody else was around. If it was just me, he would love me the same as he does with everybody. That's overwhelming to me. He did that for me. So I want to be filled with him as much as I can possibly be. Because one day, I'm going to stand before him. And one day, he's going to speak to me. And the words I want to hear out of his mouth are, Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine standing before him and just knowing that he's pleased with you? Now, we tend to beat ourselves up a lot. Do you know he is pleased with you because you accepted him? Do you know the Father looks at us as perfect, perfectly righteous? He doesn't even see our flaws because he sees us through the covering of Christ. Now, we do. If we took the time, we could probably all pick each other apart here. Right? And you know what? We do. And that's sad. Because God himself does not pick us apart. God himself sees us as perfect. That's why he wants to spend time with us. That's why he wants us to pray with him. Not, here, spend time with me so I can point out this you know, you got this, you got that, you're rough over here, you need to fix this. That's not God. Do you know God the Father sees us as perfect already because he sees us through the righteousness of Christ? And the Holy Spirit is here. It doesn't mean he doesn't work on problems. Because that's the Holy Spirit's job. Part of the Holy Spirit's job is to lead us into righteousness, lead us into this sanctification process. He does that by convicting us of things. He does that by convicting us of sin, which is the enemy. Sin is the enemy of sanctification. Deliberate sin, which we're going to talk about next week, we're going to talk about deliberate sin, we're going to talk about rewards, we're going to talk about what this means, but deliberate sin is the enemy of our sanctification. It's the enemy of us drawing closer to Christ. It's the enemy of that cup pouring out the water. Remember, we have control of how much this pours. We can stop God from pouring into our lives. So the helmet then is protecting our sanctification. It's that Second part, that second phase of salvation. And to sanctify means to be set apart for holy use, for a holy life. We're going to talk about this a lot more next week. I I want to give you a teaser, though. Let's turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 11 to 13 say this. This saying is trustworthy. For, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. 
If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he can't deny himself. The point I want you to get there, it says if we endure with him, we will reign with him. That's what we're going to talk about next week. Because it doesn't say, if you accept Jesus Christ and you're, you're just justified with him, you'll reign with him. It doesn't say that. There's a condition to us reigning. Now, don't be confused. This is not talking about going to heaven. If you are justified in Jesus Christ, you are saved in Jesus Christ, you're washed by his blood, you are going to heaven, period. Remember we read Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. That, that can never change because you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. However, there is an endurance for these rewards that we will receive. Part of those rewards is reigning with him. There will be an authority process, not only in the thousand-year reign, and I, I don't want to get into this too much, but it will also be there for the rest of eternity, when the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, the new earth, are made. When he says reign with him, he's talking about for eternity. That is not something automatic. Reigning with him is a direct correlation to your sanctification. This was a real paradigm change for me. When I used to think of heaven, I used to think that we'd go... Forgive me, it actually sounded kind of boring. That we get up there and we just kind of... You know, all we do is we sing and we praise and we say holy, holy and, and, and all that. And that's good. And, and it, it, it almost sounds blasphemous for me to say that that sounded boring. But in reality, that's not what the Word of God says. We will continually praise Him. We will that even the rocks will praise Him. Creation said, we read earlier, that creation itself is groaning for His return. Because creation itself wants to praise Him. So we will praise Him. But don't be confused to the fact that heaven is going to be a place beyond your imagination. Not just pretty. Not just unbelievable to take in the senses. But there's fulfillment. Okay, here on earth, we, we do things to be fulfilled, right? We want to pursue a career, hopefully, that we're fulfilled in, right? We want to do something because we enjoy it. We want to do something because we get some satisfaction out of it. It's going to be the same way in heaven. He has that same fulfillment. He has that same joy, that same drive that he's going to fulfill for us. In heaven. But it's all based on this sanctification. We're going to talk about that next week. So we cannot lose our justification. Or our glorification. Those two, Jesus Christ did. He shed his blood, and by grace he saved us. He justified us. When we, go, when we stand before him, it's got nothing to do with us there either. That is... That is when he's receiving us to himself, his glorification. We, he did everything for those. However, our sanctification, which is from the 
moment we got saved to the last breath that we have, that is up to us. That is up to us and how we interrelate to our relationship with Jesus Christ. If we build that, if we don't. Our sanctification has everything to do with us. It has everything to do with building our faith in letting him do it through us, if that makes sense. So next week we're going to be talking about part two of the helmet of salvation. Why is it important to live a holy life? Why? We're going to talk about that that next week. Let's bow our heads in prayer.